while I was on the front porch of a little country store right here in Illinois that Abraham Lincoln and Barry, his partner, sat there twiddling their thumbs. You see, they weren't getting any business at all. And they didn't have any money to continue to move forward. And as the two of them talked, they realized that they were going broke. And Abraham Lincoln said to Barry, he said, you know what? My true desire in life is to study law. And if I could sell everything that we had here and had just enough money to pay all the bills and to buy one book at the end, I would do that and buy Blackstone's commentary on English law. He said, but I guess we can't. We'll just keep trying. It wasn't, but moments later, the story goes, that uh, uh, some people came traveling by, and, and it was a family, and, and a, a really skinny lady who looked like she hadn't eaten much, and her husband and her kids, and they said, they we're moving out west. Would you have, would you be willing to buy something of ours so we have some money to move out west? Lincoln, not having much money, looked at their stuff, and he says, well, I guess we could use a barrel and what's said to be his last 50 cents that he owned in his name, he gave to the family, and he took their barrel. And they sat there the rest of the day, and, and the barrel sat there. And Lincoln walked by, and, and he glanced in the barrel just randomly towards the end of the night, and he saw in there that there were some random papers or something. And with his long, lengthy hands, he reached in and, and, and grabbed whatever was down there, and, and there was something hard down there. And he grabbed it, and he pulled it out, and lo and behold, as he looked petrified, it was Blackstone's commentary on English law. Lincoln later wrote, I stood there holding the book and looking up toward the heavens. There came a deep impression on me that God had something for me to do, and he was showing me, he was showing he now that he, I had to be getting ready for it. Why this miracle otherwise? Pretty cool story. I don't know if it's true, but they did quote Lincoln in it. But God has truly shown his grace and truly blessed his people throughout all the ages. Romans 8.32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We have a generous God, don't we? We have a, we have a God that, that, that just loves his people, that is willing to give of his people. He, he was willing to give everything, even his son, Jesus Christ. And the truth and the knowledge of this, the acceptance of this, the acknowledgement of this, that's the foundation for a person who wants to be centered on God. That's, a, that's the foundation uh, of, of someone who wants to do more with their life because it's all about God. 
We can never have a life that's centered on God without the almighty King of Kings. And that's what we're going to see today in our narrative of Joseph and of Jacob and his family. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, thankful for your word. Your word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and I just pray that I get out of the way and that you are praised and glorified. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin our 10th installment of, of the sermon series, Joseph, seeing the good in God's detours, I think it's important to remember how we got to this point. How we got to this point. You see, we started back in Jacob's life early on, and we saw that, that, that God's plans are always perfect. That his plans are always perfect. And we saw how, how Jacob originally, he stole the birthright from his brother Isaac, and, and he was actually given a special blessing from his father. Then jumping ahead of the story, after having nine kids, we see that Jacob, with his favorite wife, Rachel, gave birth to Joseph. And Joseph quickly became the favorite. He was given a coat of many colors. You remember that? And, and he wore it proudly. But his, his brothers didn't care much for him. They were jealous of him, and they were jealous of, of how their father cared about him. In fact, Scripture says that after Joseph told them all about the dreams that he had, that they were going to bow before him, that they hated him even more. We then took a closer look at the crazy life of this biblical family, and we saw that Jacob decided to send his 17-year-old son out to go find his brothers and figure out what they were doing, make sure that they were, they were staying on track. So Joseph went out on this long journey, and, and he finally figured out that his brothers were in Dothan and not at Shechem like they were supposed to be. Joseph then goes out to him and, and approaches him wearing that coat of many colors, and they see him from afar, and they start conspiring. They conspire, and, and they decide, you know what, we're going to show our anger. We're going to show our anger at him, and, and they did. They grabbed him, they tore the coat off, they threw him in a pit, and then they had lunch. You remember that. They just got calloused. Then they decided, you know what? Hey, here's a caravan coming. Probably heading down to Egypt. Let's sell him. Let's get some money out of the deal. Judah had that idea. So they sold him, and then they, they decided to go home, and, and they conspired, and they killed the goat and, and spread the blood of the goat on the coat of many colors, and, and they, they showed it to their dad, and they said, your son must be dead. They got him to believe that. Jacob, Jacob wept. And then we read in the narrative that, that God is with his people. God's absolutely with his people, and no matter where they are, and no matter what their circumstances, what a great reminder for us that no matter what our circumstance, no matter how bad it is, or even how great it is, God is with us in our midst. And right away we see that as Joseph sold into Egypt, he sold to Potiphar, who's basically the secret service uh, for, uh, for the Pharaoh. And Joseph does an unbelievable job. Just an unbelievable job. And, and he receives great favor from Potiphar. 
And, and as he's there, he's, 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 everyone's noticing him, including Potiphar's wife. And she starts winking at him, and she starts coming on him, and, and she basically seduces him. And remember, Joseph said, no, no, no. I am not going to sin against my master, and I'm not going to sin against God. So what does Joseph do? He runs. Joseph runs from sin. Then we see that Joseph was wrongly convicted. He didn't do anything wrong. He, he, he wasn't uh, trying to harm Potiphar's wife. He didn't attempt to rape her. But Potiphar's hands uh, were, were tied. He had to either, one, kill Joseph, have Joseph be killed for what he had done, but he suspected that his wife might not be telling the whole truth, at least that's what we assume, or two, put him in prison. And that's what he did. He put him in prison, threw him in prison for, for whatever length of time, the rest of his life as far as he was concerned, but he dealt with the situation. And while he was in prison, even though he didn't deserve it, Joseph used his God-given talents. He used his God-given talents, and he became the person in charge of all the prisoners. Amazing how God was working through Joseph, no matter where he was going. Over and over, God using Joseph, and Joseph submitting to God. Then we saw another story take place uh, behind the bars, and we saw that Joseph was like saying, hurry up, hurry up. But then he was being told to wait. You remember the story of the baker and the cupbearer? We don't know why they were thrown in prison, but they were also thrown in prison. And they both had a dream in the, in the same night. And Joseph recognized it right away. He saw how they were so sad, how their faces looked gloomed. And he said, what's wrong? And they both told him, we had a, we had a dream. We had a dream. And Joseph asked them, what was the dream? I can help interpret it through the help of God. And they, they, they told him the dream. And Joseph said, gave good news to the cupbearer and not so good news to the baker. But he told the cupbearer, please don't forget me. Please remember me. But the cupbearer, when he was released, did forget Joseph. He forgot Joseph, or at least he chose not to talk about him in, in trying to help himself, and he forgot him for a couple years. So Joseph, he just kept doing what he was doing, kept serving where he was serving at the pleasure of the person who was overseeing the prison. Then we saw that Joseph, he moved from the depths of the prison to the palace of the king. In one swoop, Joseph was truly the Cinderella man. You remember the Pharaoh, he had his own set of dreams. And no one could interpret the dreams, but the cupbearer finally remembered Joseph. He said, oh, there's this dude in prison. And, and this guy, he can, he can interpret dreams. And so they quickly brought him out, cleaned him up, put him in front of the Pharaoh. And Joseph, through the help of God alone, he interpreted the Pharaoh's dreams. In fact, he didn't only interpret them, he also provided a plan, an immediate plan of, of how the Pharaoh can go about and, and figure out how to deal with the, the situation coming about. Remember, there was a famine coming, a seven-year great harvest that was going to happen, and then there was going to be seven years of famine people were going to die people were not going to be able to survive those seven years of famine and, and, and the famine wasn't only going to hit egypt it was going to hit all the way east as far as to canaan where joseph's family lived 
And this is where we start seeing the breaking of man. You see, while they were experiencing a time of hardship and running out of food, the people of Canaan, they became hungry. They got really hungry themselves. And their only hope was to head into Egypt and get food from the prime minister, who they didn't even realize was their kin, was Joseph himself. So the brothers being sent by Jacob come into Egypt to purchase food. And that's when Joseph is there and he re-meets them now as a, an adult, making sure that they didn't know who he was, speaking uh, with a different tongue. But it's interesting, they immediately bow down to Joseph, just as God had foretold in the dream of Joseph earlier on in chapter 37. And Joseph decides it would be great to put him to a test. He, 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 he sends them into prison for three days. Eventually, he, he releases them and, and says, I'm going to keep Simeon. Your job is to bring back Benjamin. Then I'll release Simeon if, if you do that. And while he was doing that, he secretly had all their money replaced, put in their sacks. And they went home, and they were sad, and they told their dad all the things that have happened. And, and his dad was sad and mad and angry. And then they realized they had all their money back, and then they thought, this is a conspiracy. He, he, they're going to trap us. They're going to get us. It was not good. However, they finally started running low in food. And they said, we can't go back unless we have Benjamin. And Dad finally decided, go ahead, take Benjamin, which he was really sad to do. And this is where Joseph finally meets his little brother again. So he puts them to the test one more time. After enjoying a, a great meal with them, after enjoying a feast with them, giving Benjamin five times as much as everybody else, he, he puts them all on the trail with food, with money, but then he adds one more thing. He throws in a, a silver cup that is his special cup in the bag of Benjamin, his youngest brother. And right away, he has his people go out as they're traveling, heading back towards Canaan, and they, they say, hey, somebody has stolen the cup of the prime minister. And lo and behold, Benjamin has it. Benjamin now is being taken into captivity. But Judah, this is where we see Judah step up. And Judah begs, says, please, please, my father will die if he loses Benjamin. He's already lost his favorite, Joseph. He will die if he loses Benjamin as well. This is and was one moment in time. This is where, where we see that Joseph, well, he cries again, as he does several times, but this is where he reveals himself to his brothers by speaking their native tongue and, and saying what they had done was in order for God to save them through him, which is absolutely amazing. That's the beauty of this story, to see how God is, is dealing with all of these things. Eventually, after some more crying, Joseph, with the blessing of Pharaoh, sends for Jacob, his father, sends tons of gifts and blessings and says, come back. Come, come back with your, your sons and come see me in Egypt and I will take care of you. And that brings us to our chapter today, our two chapters, Genesis 46 and 47. 
You see, after, after reading the book of Genesis, we realize that Jacob, Jacob's a unique character. He really is. He's a unique character, and, and he sometimes he had trouble following God's commands completely. He had trouble understanding how to, how to love his kids perfectly, uh, how to care for his why his, the women in his life appropriately. But in the end, we see that Jacob, he's always leaning in on the God of his father, the God of his grandfather, his God, Yahweh. You see, Jacob decides, you know what, I'm out of here. The 65-plus people that are with me, we are going to pack up and we are going to head to Egypt. And they're going to they're gonna go there. But then he stops. They stop in a, in a, in a place called Beersheba. And, and it's interesting. Genesis 46, verse 1 says, So Israel, looked, or Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. You see, earlier in, earlier in Genesis, we see that Abram, as he was called at the time, Abram was in Beersheba as well. And he, he stopped there and he dug wells of water. And he prayed and glorified God. Later on in, in Genesis, uh, we see that Isaac even had arguments uh, there about whose well it was. And then he eventually dug another one and resolved the situation. Be Beersheba was an endpoint. It was the southernmost point of the promised land. It, it, it's th this is actually the point where Jacob is stopping because he has a crossroad. He he is seeking God's direction because there's a crossroad in his life and he's trying to figure out what to do. Because this is a huge decision, and and friends. We have decisions all the time. And we don't know what, what direction to go or how to move forward. You see, Jacob knew that this land was blessed by God. He knew that it was given to his descendants. He knew that his descendants were going to have this land. And it was not by man, but by God. And this was a time for Jacob to be emotional. This was a time to stop and to look to God you know, sometimes we just need permission. We just need permission on what to do next in our lives. Too many of us do whatever feels right instead of asking permission. Practically speaking, I could be at Best Buy. And I could be, I could be looking at a video camera at Best Buy. I'm like, ooh, that is cool. I like this $1,200 video camera. I pull out of my pocket some nice wire cutters, trim off the safety wire, and, and I put it in my pocket, and I walk out of the store. I don't think that would work out too well for me, but I could do that. But we don't. I could, if I was having trouble with my test at school, and I, I couldn't think of the answer, I could pull out my phone and Google it. <laughs> Jacob nodding. 
We could do that, but the outcome of that wouldn't be too good. You see, we seek permission on how to move forward sometimes. Sherry and I, if we're struggling with a situation, we're struggling with uh, how to talk to one of our kids about something or, or, or what to buy or, or when to do something, we'll talk together, but we'll also seek the Lord. When we're trying to do, do stuff here, we were trying to decide of putting the roof on. You know, we look at it practically. Yes, we need to put the roof on. But then we also seek God for that. When we do things, we need to seek God for permission on how to move forward. Pastor Dave gave a great illustration at small group. If you don't come to small group, it's a, it's a tremendous time. Always gives more insight and great fellowship. But Pastor, Pastor Dave said, there's a semi standing at a stop sign. If you were to ask the semi-driver, as they were in a dead stop, to turn the wheel so they could move, so they could start going left, almost impossible as you're trying to turn the wheel, just sitting there still. But if you just creep forward ever so slightly, you can turn the wheel easily. One finger, maybe. You see, God wants us to move forward and wait for him to, to speak to us and to teach us and to guide our ways. And that's what Jacob was doing. Jacob was moving forward. He moved all the way to Beersheba, moving towards what God, uh, where he was being guided in his life. He knows that Egypt really isn't a place where he's supposed to go. You may not realize this, but in Genesis 12, Abraham is told, don't go there. Go to only the place that I told you. There was another famine in Isaac's time. And I, I guarantee Jacob knew this. In Genesis 26, it says, the Lord appeared to him, Isaac. He said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in the land and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and will give to your offsprings all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 5, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. You see, Jacob, he doesn't want to go to Egypt because he's going to break the commandment of God. Isaac was told, don't go to Egypt. Abraham was told, don't go to Egypt. Stay here. And now, he's like, um, I think we might die. In, in the, I believe in the book of Acts, it says that there were 75 total people that were involved. In Genesis, it talks about the 66 people that came into Egypt. That was not counting the son's wives. So he was in charge of a lot of people. And he was worried about their well-being. And he wanted to see his son Joseph. Joseph could have come to him. They could have brought him food, probably. But Joseph had requested that they come to Egypt. So Jacob doesn't know what to do. And so we see that he begs God. He stops and he prays, and he waits. And we once again see God has a plan. God has an 
unbelievable plan. Genesis 46, starting in verse 2, And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. He says it twice. It's always a big thing when, in Scripture when you see it twice in a row. And what is Jacob's response? Here I am. Great response. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Jacob is, is, is sitting there, hearing from God, located in what eventually will be a place that is considered the land of Judah, 1 Kings 19, Jacob gets a plan from God. He gets a plan from God to move forward into the land of Egypt where his father and, and his grandfather were told not to go. You see, God's plan is always way bigger than ours. Our life and, and the things that we have done in our life we probably wouldn't orchestrate it. We probably wouldn't dictate it the way it has gone. We would have done it a completely different way. Maybe some of the things we, we like and, oh, this is, this is great. This is a great day. And, but, but other things are like, man, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this pain? Why am I suffering this way? But God, he's playing the long game. He's, he's looking at your life and he sees what he wants it to become and what he, his purposes are and, and all of his desires, all of his plans always come to fruition. Talking about God's plan, look at the book of Matthew. Right there at the very beginning of Matthew, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amadab, and Amadab, the father of Nashan, and Nashan, the father of Salmon, and, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And we know that Jesus Christ comes from the line of David the king. God is playing the long game here. He always is. His plans are always perfectly laid out, perfectly displayed. God needed a way to protect the entire family of Israel, of Jacob. He needed a way to save Joseph. He needed a way to save Judah because Jesus Christ was going to come from the line of Judah. As we continue in our text, we see that if we want to live a God-centered life, we need to stop our desire to get too comfortable in this world. We see in the latter part of Genesis 46 that Joseph had a tremendous reunion with his father in Goshen. Just an absolutely beautiful moment. Again, another moment in time. From there, Joseph, he talks to his brothers and he coaches them. He says, okay, what you need to do is you need to be honest. When, when, when Pharaoh asks you what your job is, tell him what your job is. 
Just explain what you are. Communicate with, with, with truth. And that's one of the things we need to do in order to stop being too comfortable is we simply just need to be telling the truth. We, we think sometimes if we don't tell the truth, if we, if we tell a lie, if we uh, fabricate something, that it's going to go better for us. And that's not true in itself. We need to be able to lay out the truth. You see, if Joseph's brothers would have told Pharaoh, oh, we're businessmen. Well, we do a lot of dealings with business. Or, or that maybe they, they, they said, yeah, we, uh, we're clothing people. And, and we make clothes. And, or we're traders. All of those things could be true in what they did in a normal day's life. But the Pharaoh could have heard those things and said, oh, I've got a job for you. You are going to be assigned over here. You're going to be assigned over here. You see, Joseph saw the opportunity for them to stay at Goshen, the opportunity for them to stay outside the walls of the city and to have the land. If they were shepherds, they weren't going to be intermixed necessarily with the Egyptians. And they saw that he saw that opportunity. First Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You see, these gentlemen were not from this land. They were foreigners. And sometimes we forget that we are aliens, that we are aliens of this world, that we are foreigners, that we are sojourners, that we, the people who love Jesus Christ, our job is to continuously serve God. We need to be honest about the fact that we're only here for a short period of time. John Piper says, our first and primary citizenship is in heaven, not the United States. Our first and primary constitution is the Bible, not the U.S. Constitution. Our first and primary king and commander-in-chief is Jesus Christ and not for the president. And the dominant cravings of our heart are not for the treasures and tributes of the world, but for the kingdom of God. And in the recognition of the fact that we aren't of this world, we still need to be honorable to those that are, were around. Listen to what happened with Jacob. Jacob goes in and, and, and he's meeting the most powerful man from their vantage point, maybe in the entire world. And Jacob walks in, Genesis 47, starting with verse 7, this is what happens. Joseph brought in Jacob his father, and he stood him before Pharaoh. Interesting, I, I wonder if Jacob was having trouble walking or if, he, or if J Jacob bowed down initially and, 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 and Joseph picked him up and stood him before the Pharaoh. And he stood him before Pharaoh and what happened? Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Think of that. Verse 8, and Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil 
have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And what did Jacob do in verse 10? He blessed the Pharaoh, and then he walked out. He cared about him. He showed him honor and respect. Jacob and the Pharaoh saw things completely different in their worlds. They didn't follow the same God. Pharaoh followed many gods. They didn't have the same uh, convictions, but Jacob respected them, and he treated them with great manners, and he offered a blessing. Paul says in Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. All people. Love on them and care about them and bless them. I gave a blessing to somebody the other day and they're like, no, 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 don't give me a blessing. I said, well, too late. You have a blessing of God. Titus 3, 2 reminds us to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. This isn't saying just to some people. It's saying to everyone. No matter if you disagree with them. I was in another conversation the other day where, where the person was saying, I mean, literally completely different views than me, politically speaking. Absolute opposite of everything that I stand strong about, politically speaking. And I just sat there and smiled. Because the person is a non-believer. And if I would have argued my Point. it wasn't the, the opportunity to, and it wasn't the appropriate place, I would have never had that opportunity in the future to engage with that person in a spiritual way. We saw how Daniel honored Nebuchadnezzar. And obviously we've seen through the life of Joseph too, how he served Potiphar, he served the jailer, and he served the Pharaoh. Even though they didn't agree, they all decided, those people, Paul included, decided we're just going to serve God. We're going to serve God, and by serving God, we're going to love others. We're going to uh, respect and honor those that are put in charge of us. You may disagree with your boss, but you need to honor and respect them. You may disagree with your teacher, but you need to honor and respect them. Your coach, but you need to honor and respect them. Your mom and dad. We need to honor and respect them. We are to live peaceable among all men. Finally, our text shows us that God-centered living involves us serving with diligence and compassion. See, the chapter concludes uh, with, we see all Joseph's dealings with all the people, because the people are going to starve. People are going to starve to death, and, and Joseph says, okay, you guys are out of money because there was five years of famine left that we see. They run out of money. He goes, okay, now I, I, I want to uh, give me your livestock. We'll trade food for livestock. And eventually they ran out of food again. And he said, okay, I understand that. I want your land for the Pharaoh. And we'll give you food. You can live on it, but we'll, we'll give you food for it. So they did that. And so after that, 
Then the people came to Joseph and they said, okay, we're out of food again. You're not going to let us starve, are you? Here's what we'll do. We'll serve you and we'll work for you. And so Joseph, with his compassion and wise heart, looked at him and said, here's, here's what we're going to do. Are you in agreement with this? I will give you all the food that you need rationed for your family. You are to plant food and crop, and you are to give us one-fifth of everything. Give the Pharaoh one-fifth of everything that you get. The other four-fifths you can use to plant the next seed and eat for your family. You see, he created a situation where they were serving they continuously served the Pharaoh. They made the Pharaoh more wealthy, but they were feeding their family. They were taking care of their own areas. What a genius move by Joseph. God really blessed him, but he had to work diligently and compassionately. Let me leave you with 10 ways. 10 ways I think that you and I could become more God-centered. Maybe you want to write these down. Number 10, make people more important than stuff. Make people more important than stuff. That may mean you have to put your phone away. That may mean that you need to stop saving for your bass boat and bless that neighbor that is in need. Number nine, go on a short-term missions trip. We offer a lot of them at Village Bible Church. There's a ton outside of us as well. We have prison short-term mission trips. Uh, we go to Uganda, potentially Ethiopia. We go all over the place in the world. There, there's places in Aurora that people go on short-term mission trips. In DeKalb, there's so many different opportunities. But it will help you start to focus more on God and not on yourself. Number eight, consider doing without TV. That's a crazy one, I know. I'm challenging myself on these too, remember. We spend so much time watching television, watching Netflix, watching things, looking at our phones. Consider cutting that cable with your wire cutters. Number seven, practice some disciplines you might not normally practice. I'm talking about fasting, Scripture memorization. These are, these are tough things. These are things that we're being challenged as elders to do on a regular basis. They're challenging us in unique ways so we can, again, lean more into God, not ourselves. Number six, learn to manage your money in a way that honors God. Manage your money to honor God in order for you to bless other people. Number five, even if you're not a reader, try to read some solid Christian books. There's a ton out there. There's a ton of great books that can change your life uh, in different ways that speak to you that obviously uh, are, are working with Scripture. Number four, learn how to finish strong. Learn how to finish strong. Don't leave things unfinished. I've said it many times, only one life soon will pass. 
Only what's done for Christ will last. Learn to finish strong. Number three, fall in love, fall in love with the Psalms. The Psalms are beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. God has, has really um, given us a great feast with, with, with the chapters in Psalms. Number two, have at least one area in your life where you're setting the bar really high. You're setting the bar really high. It, and this could be for anything. It will help you grow as an individual, help you grow as a person, and then you'll realize that God can do wondrous things when you seek him out. And the number one, if you don't do it already, Start doing daily devotions in quiet time. Start spending quality time with Jesus Christ. Whether it's sitting inside uh, of your car before you go into work and spending some time with God, uh, or sitting on a couch enjoying a cup of coffee and, and praising, the, praising the Lord. May the Lord bless you greatly today. Drive safely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the opportunity that I have truly to serve you, not, not as a pastor, but as a person, God, as a person who can uh, proclaim that you are my king. And I pray that that prayer is echoed uh, throughout this building. We pray for those that are worshiping you even within our community, for the church uh, down the street and the churches uh, down the highway, we pray for those churches, that they are lifting your name on high, that they are praising you and giving you all the glory. Lord, we want to be um, Christ-centered. We want to be people that truly are striving to serve you on a daily basis, not just with our words, but with our actions, and with, most of all, our heart. Change us, God. Change us, because we need to continuously be moving towards you. We are so thankful that you are rock solid. We're so thankful that you're perfect. We're so thankful uh, that you are glorious, that you are all-knowing, that you're omnipresent. And we give you all the praise, and we give you all the glory, and we ask uh, that we could continuously step out of the way and that you could be praised. In Jesus' name we pray.